0: Lord Jesus, we pray that you would break the chains that bind us and uh, set our hearts and minds upon you. In your name, amen. amen. One of the great mistakes that preachers make is assuming that his listeners are familiar with the scripture that he is preaching on. The characters, the place, the background, the story, but I think it's pretty safe to say this morning that very few of you know the story of Absalom and that none of you have ever heard a sermon on the death of Absalom. Well, after this morning, uh, for at least a couple minutes, you'll have a leg up on the 11 o'clock congregation. Uh, But hopefully, as we unpack uh, this story, uh, we'll get a a wonderful uh, picture of uh, God's mercy and God's grace, even in the midst of tragedy. But because most of us don't know the story of Absalom, let's talk about who Absalom is. He's one of David's sons. He's the third oldest. He is strong. He is handsome. He has a very full head of hair that is the renown of the kingdom. He is all boy. Uh, David, in his growing up, was either spoiling him or reading him the riot act. And needless to say, this approach to parenting did not help build character in young Absalom. Although there were moments when Absalom would generate up some righteous indignation, his half-brother Amnon took advantage of his full sister, Tamar, and believing that revenge was a dish best served cold, he waited two years, uh, and in a moment of drunkenness, Amnon, uh, at a party, uh, Absalom's assassin struck him down and killed him. And so Absalom fled uh, to his maternal grandfather, the king of Gesher, where he spent three years but finally receives word that to come back and that Amnon's death would not be held against him. And so he goes back to Jerusalem. But it still feels as if a cloud is hanging over his head. And he even appeals to Joab, the old war horse of King David, and says, look, can you put a word in for me? And Joab says, no. Uh, And so uh, Absalom did what uh, most uh, well-behaved children do. do. Uh, He burned Joab's fields and uh, And so, what Absalom would do day after day is he would sit in a, place, a prominent place in the city, and as the citizens of the kingdom would come and bring their trials and tribulations to be judged by King David, who was very busy with other things, and so he didn 't always get around to them, Absalom would say to them wouldn 't it be really great if you had somebody who was just and righteous?" to hear your trials and tribulations, and to judge what is best, if only. Well, we all know people like that, really. He's saying, if only you had me, right? That's what he's saying. And the people fell in love with him. In fact, the Hebrew says that Absalom stole their hearts. They absolutely fell head over heels in love with him and he turned the people against his father, David. And a huge number of people went over to Absalom. And they rose up against David, and David flees with Joab in a small army. And our reading picks up this morning with the great battle at the wood of Ephraim and Absalom's death, which is actually caused by his beautiful hair. His, he gets stuck uh, in a tree. And David says to his army, to Joab, to his mighty men, deal gently with him for my sake. Deal gently with him for my sake. Well, that's an astounding thing to say because Absalom would stop at nothing to gain power. And yet David still wants to deal gently with this child who wants him dead. And everybody but Joab listens. Joab knows that to spare the life of Absalom is to seal the death of David and the kingdom. In delivering the message of Absalom's death, no one wants to be the bearer of bad news, but the news comes and David goes into mourning. And what is a great victory for the people of Israel, a great victory for the Lord, is covered in mourning by David. And Joab will have none of it. In fact, While everyone wants to celebrate, they feel hindered because David has gone into mourning. But Joab goes straight into David's quarters. And he says this in chapter 19. You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night and this will be the worse for you than all the evil has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took a seat in the gate, and the people were all told, behold, the king is sitting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. David's relationship with Absalom has clouded his discernment has clouded his judgment. He can't even think straight. Not only because his love for his son is so great, but his love is in fact distorted for his son. Early in the 1990s, therapists began using the term dysfunctional families to describe families that were troubled, especially those who were beginning to experience divorce. Well, I mean, when's the last time you heard that term, dysfunctional families? We don't hear it much anymore, and I think it's because we realize that all families are dysfunctional. Uh, Just when you thought your family was the worst, you heard about one that was even more so, and you read about one this morning that even thousands thousands of years ago is the picture of dysfunction. And it's part of our nature in our human hearts to in fact gravitate and orient ourselves to the greatest source of dysfunction in our lives. We do it in our families, as we see here with David toward Absalom, or maybe you're like me and you have a crazy Uncle Jack. And Uncle Jack comes for Thanksgiving and you know that everything will be fine so long as you don't bring up the following issues and you sort of walk around on eggshells, and Uncle Jack doesn't think he's in charge, but because of the way the whole family behaves around him, he is in charge. And when he leaves, there's this collective sigh of relief that finally we can go back to normal, healthy living. Or in your workplace, you have a dysfunctional employee who has absolutely no idea what they're doing, and instead of being fired, the whole company is built around their ineptitude. Instead of actually going, this doesn't apply to any of you. Uh, And so uh, you go, you want them to do a certain job, but you know that they're going to blow it, so you just do it yourself. And so they may be oblivious to the fact, but in fact you've ceded all of the power to them. And that's exactly what David has done. It turns out that, yes, Absalom is dysfunction, but the greatest source of dysfunction, not only in the family, but in the kingdom, is David. of our relationships have the potential to delude us into thinking the most ungodly thoughts and arriving at the most unbiblical of positions. Think about it. It's not just about David and his son. He has forsaken his role as king. He's forsaken his people. He's even turned away from the Lord in order to orient himself toward Absalom. You know, David could still be against Absalom while also loving him as a son. It was not for lack of love that Absalom rebelled, but it was because he had a great thirst for power. Absalom, not David, is part of the problem. But again, David has allowed Absalom to control the situation. David has oriented himself toward Absalom's behavior, resulting in chaos and unfaithfulness. David has made the mistake in believing that loving his son means accepting Absalom's bad decisions and condoning his actions, or at the very least, shrugging them off. David is disconnected from reality. All of our emotions need a reality check, otherwise we would find ourselves in a world of our own making. We need to be reminded of our own nature and our propensity to orient ourselves towards such dysfunction before we grow too fond of it. The fact of the matter is, we don't know what we don't know Our emotions have the ability to subvert and even override our most deeply held spiritual and religious beliefs, as we see here in the life of David. The word of God, the voice of God, checks our reason and our experience so that we might see things as they really are, not as how they are felt or perceived. That's one of the unique things about Christianity. Christianity calls a thing what it is. It's not seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, but Christianity calls us to see things as they are, pointing out injustice, evil, sin, but also accentuating truth, beauty, and love. And so we need to have our hearts confronted by the word of the Lord Now, no one wants a Joab in their life, but we need one. We need someone to speak a word to thwart the flow of our hearts sometimes to bring us back to reality so that something like scales might fall from our eyes and we see become slaves to ourselves. And of course, David is known as a man after God's own heart. And yet, this is not the first time that somebody has had to intervene in David's life to give him a little bit of a jolt. Remember, he had an affair with Bathsheba, murdered her husband, and was going on his merry way, thinking it was all covered up. And yet the prophet Nathan confronts him. He tells him a story about one who stole a lamb from another family who loved the lamb as if it were their own child. And David is enraged by this, that this lamb would be stolen and killed for someone else whom it did not belong. And David said to Nathan, you tell me who that is. And Nathan said, thou art the man. And David became undone. Sometimes that's what it takes in our lives, whether it's the Bible or whether God's sending someone into our lives to jar us. Because we are in need of complete reorientation in our lives. Because we will always orient ourselves to something or someone our jobs, an ideology, a hobby, a spouse a child, a parent. And yet sometimes even those good and wonderful things can take hold of us in an unhealthy way. And like any other idol, you think that you've got a hold of it, but it turns out that it has a hold of you. But this word that's spoken into our lives doesn't leave us there it opens our eyes to see the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. The answer is not to simply say, hey, you got a problem, right? Thanks for nothing. But what we're talking about is a reorientation to a person, a person who is Jesus Christ and what he has done for you to bring you into the marvelous light of his glory and grace. David cries out at the death of a son, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, would I have died instead of you, O oh Absalom, my son, my son. Frederick Buechner wrote, he meant it, of course. If he could have done the boys dying for him, he would have done it. If he could have paid the price for the boy's betrayal of him, he would have paid it. If he could have given his own life to make the boy alive again, He would have given it. But even a king can't do things like that. As later history was to prove, it takes a God. And that is Jesus Christ who sees us in our disorientation and comes into our lives and the scales fall off, we see a thing for what it is, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are turned toward him that even in the most, what seems to be the the most unredeemable of circumstances, like here in this story, God is actually able to redeem it. God is able to turn your heart and to order your life in such a way that when he is first in your life, everything else is ordered and has its proper place. When we seek out the mercy and grace and rest our lives in that of Jesus Christ, we actually find ourselves being changed as spouses, as brothers and sisters, as co-workers, as parents. Dysfunction is always going to be a part of our lives, and our nature is always to orient ourselves to it. But here in this very obscure uh, Old Testament story, which uh, you've heard a sermon on now but probably will never again, we see in it ourselves, we see our need for reorientation, to see a thing as it really is but for someone to come into our lives and redeem us and to make us whole and to heal us. And so this day that we would look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and by the Holy Spirit of God, our hearts might be oriented toward him. Amen.